0: Welcome to Recovery Plus Podcast. Fuck yesterday. Focus on today. I'm your host, Dr. May Lee Hennan. Here, we celebrate and honor people in recovery one conversation at a time. Let's talk. Welcome back. This is episode 14. My next guest is Corinne Zai. She is a Los Angeles singer and songwriter, also lived in Las Vegas, and she's performed all over the world. She's an award-winning TV talk show host and a vocal coach with students from Broadway and stages worldwide. Some of her students actually are Grammy Award-winning recording artists, film television performers from The Voice, and America's Got Talent. Corinne was a meth addict for 15 years and an alcoholic for 20 years. She recovered without a program and reinvented her life to become a successful entertainer and teacher through insights, Buddhism and intentions and a vow she made. Corinne has been sober for 36 years and counting. Take a listen. Hi, Corinne, so nice to have you here.
1: Thank you, thank you for having me.
0: So before we begin, I just wanna let people know you've had a long career in the music industry and we'll talk more about that and that has played a huge part in your road to recovery. In, yes, it is. in some in several ways um, so let's start here what was life like before
1: sobriety oh my god uh, it was chaotic mm-hmm. painful dangerous um I was living with my first husband who was a um, real biker
0: <laughs>
1: you know he had he had uh, just gotten out of a large motorcycle gang, and uh, he and I both got very strung out, and um, I was dealing crystal, and um, he, we had a shooting gallery in our house.
0: What do you it mean a sad. shooting gallery? What does that even I mean, mean? People
1: were injecting. They were laying around. Oh, and inject, I see. Okay. You know, I, I never did inject drugs, but boy, I could stuff a whole bunch of them up my nose, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> and I was dealing to keep us in drugs, even though I was still performing. I was a, a functioning tweaker, uh-huh. unheard of, you know, and, and i still look, I'd lost a bunch of weight, not weight. I'd lost a bunch of muscle. Mm-hmm. I was a professional dancer. So I was very strong and a lot of muscle. So um, I went from a hundred pounds down to 86 pounds, wow. but a lot of people didn't know it because I still was muscular and looking good. Uh, but it was dangerous. I mean, we had dangerous people in and out of the house. Uh, we had, he could go off any second and just get violent with me or anybody around us. We never knew if the police were going to come in because we were loud and the neighbors, you know, the neighbors. We were in a regular residential neighborhood in, in a home mm-hmm. um, and we had shade characters in and out all the time. And it was it was scary, but I was so far gone that I didn't realize it was scary.
0: Did this feel normal to you?
1: It, it terrifyingly enough. Yeah, it did. Mm-hmm. There, there was always something in me that was like, what am I doing here? However, when you want to get to the next fix, you know, the next high, mm-hmm. you just push that in, down or in the back of your brain and just go looking for that. So, but it was, it was, um, not normal if whatever normal is, sure. but it really wasn't a life. It was surviving and I would stay up for a week at a time. I'd be, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd be talking to mailboxes, thinking that they were people because of course you're hallucinating. Mm-hmm. And then I'd sleep for three or four days, you know, because you have to. I call it the waking death mm-hmm. because you couldn't go to sleep. You couldn't go to sleep, so then you'd have to take barbiturates to knock yourself out, and then you'd sleep for days and wake up and not even know where you were, and then you write back at it again. So, and, and, uh, you know, my, my first husband at the time wasn't working. So I was so support between gigging and, and selling drugs. <laughs> I was so support. Mm-hmm. And of course he was inviting all kinds of people into the house to stay with us. So I was supporting all of them and I was afraid of him. He was dangerous. Um, and people were saying, what are you doing there? And I'm like, oh, I love him. and But the truth was, I did love him. But the truth was, I was addicted to him and I was addicted to drugs.
0: And prior to kind of living this lifestyle, how did that arrive? How did you get to that place?
1: Um, my, well, I, my father was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. He's Native American and very violent. Uh, my mother was an upper middle class Jewish lady. My best friend, just, she was an amazing woman, mm-hmm. but she was bipolar. So she's self-medicated, and when I say self-medicated, she didn't hit the street, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Back then, back then things were different. Sure. Uh, she'd go to the doctor and say, "Oh, I'm depressed," you know. So they they give her drugs for that, you know. "Oh, I'm tired." Well, yeah, they just gave <laughs> <you know, laughs> drugs because you're depressed, and so then they would give her what equivalent to and younger people won't know what this is, but people my age will know. Black beauties you know, benzos mm-hmm. and uh and the worst part was that you could go to the drugstore in those days and get a lower dose of that type of speed um by just signing your name. So both my mother, right, and my uncle, who was a professor at DePaul University, right, both of <laughs> both of them would have my little Yiddisha Bubby, my little Jewish grandma who weighed like 310 pounds, mm-hmm. shuffled down to Mr. P's drugstore and signed for a case of, of these lower dose um, Black beauties. Wow. Though my poor little grandma was copping drugs for my, my, my mother and my, my uncle. I'm laughing. It's not funny. It's not funny. I mean, the, the picture of my grandmother doing that is hysterical. <laughs> But the actual reality of what it was. So, my mother self medicated and sure. she was an amazing woman, you know. But she went, she was manic and then would sleep for two weeks. And by the time I was um, 11, 10, she was in and out of mental institutions. And I think she went in because she was crashing from the drugs, but they didn't have rehab back then, mm-hmm. really. And she ended up in a state mental institution, Dunning. Because, you know, my my dad worked all the time, but gambled and partied the money away. So we didn't have any money. And, um, and so my mom passed away of cancer. We thought she was having, you know, another breakdown. But she didn't tell us that she had pancreatic cancer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, so anyway, by the time I was 15, she passed away. And it was just me and my brother and my senile grandmother. And when my grandmother passed away, I just... I moved out cause I didn't want my poor brother to have to take care of me. He wanted to go to college. He went, you know,
0: mm-hmm. and,
1: um, I was gigging, you know, I was going to school, I was gigging and I was working a job oh. and I had some pretty coming in from, from my mom. So, so I had enough money, you know, mm-hmm. and I moved out on my own. I was 15 and I went to this uh, apartment complex where I had some people that I knew lived and the, the lady that was running, it was an alcoholic. And I said, I want to move in. She said, I know you're not 18. She said, okay, you can move in, but you're going to pay me double, which in those with, wow. right. I'll see, you know, CPS on you. So, um, I paid $160 a month. Or hundred was a hundred, no, a hundred, $130 a month because it was 65, it was $65 a month for a one bedroom apartment. Wow. You know, it was, it was a tenement, but it, <laughs> so I was like, you know, okay, and I worked and I went to school and I gigged and you so know, when you and say then you was, gigged
0: is that doing music?
1: Yeah, I did music. Well, I was also I was in theater. Okay. And I was a dancer and a singer and an actor. Um but then when I found the blues I started working in the coffee house. We're ta- we're talking about about the mid and late 60s. Uh-huh.
0: Uh-huh.
1: So, it uh-huh. Was, was quite the time. Um, and I met my, my first husband when I was 13 and he was 14. And, uh, right. (laughs) Right. So he couldn't even really groom me. He was just a kid, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, Um, but we grew up together, but he was already a mess and he was already doing drugs at that age. Mm -hmm. And so, but I didn't, I didn't really start getting high until I was in my twenties.
0: What led you to drugs then in your twenties?
1: Um, I, well, the, it took many, 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 many years to figure this out. Uh-huh. Uh, but it was guilt about my mom mm-hmm. passing away when she passed away. Uh, and we were, like I said, best friends. When she passed away, um, And she was in the hospital. And I did not know she was going to pass away. Mm-hmm. Uh, we thought she was just, you know, a mess in mm-hmm. her head. Mm-hmm. And um, I wanted to go to a football game instead of visit her. And then my brother came and found me after the football game and said, mom, mom, mom's dead. And so incredible guilt for (sighs) not saying goodbye, no closure. You know, I had no idea that's what it was, Mm -hmm. you know, then on top of marrying someone like my father, but worse, you know, someone violent and someone that was an addict. Uh, And of course, I modeled that behavior from both of my parents mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and which, what's very fascinating is my brother didn't at all, he, at all. He would yeah. have a drink here or there. You know, one time I, I talked him into smoking a joy and he hated it, you know, in the sixties, never did drugs. Um, when he was a teenager, he drank a bunch of beer and stuff like teenagers do. But you know, once he grew into a man, he didn't, didn't drink. did get
0: that gene, huh?
1: did not get that gene but he was not my father's son he was my father's stepson so uh, i don't know um but he's santa claus now he's the number one santa claus in the midwest wow so, <laughs> so, right um so i think that's what it was and then and then being depressed you know
0: <laughs> being
1: married to my my first husband who who i loved uh, but his life was chaotic and dangerous and he wasn't faithful and you know, he was violent and you know, I got, then I got depressed. I, I'm not mm-hmm. bipolar. I don't have any of those tendencies whatsoever. Uh, thank God. Mm-hmm. But um, I around just. around it
0: though. No so pain,
1: much. Sure. you know, you numb the, between my mom and, and being in this insane life, which was not what I, in my brain, had signed up for. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get out of what I was raised in, not jump right back into it and create a life like that but you model you model what you see you don't even realize it right and but so you,
0: how long did you stay with him
1: we were together for 22 years
0: oh my goodness that's a long time
1: long time mm-hmm. long time hey i don't pl- i don't play when i'm when i'm punishing myself i'll get in there to do a good job
0: <laughs> you're like i'm number one punisher
1: I was like, hey, i I never do anything halfway.
0: (laughs) All or nothing.
1: Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So we were married for, well, not married. We were together for 22 years. Uh, We were married for nine years.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, I kept, I, is it time for me to go to that? Sure. Okay. Uh, I, Realized, I looked around one day and realized that somebody had to clean up. Man, it someone was going to die or go to jail. Mm-hmm. It was it was at that point, you know, it wasn't casual on the weekend getting high. It was twenty four seven, and there were some really scary people there. Uh, one one girl overamped and had a stroke.
0: Oh dear,
1: right? Yeah, it was mm-hmm. bad. And um he had moved in. Wait for this one. He'd moved in a hooker. That he decided that he was, he was going to have an affair with, um, it moved her into the house. Right.
0: Where you're living also. Where
1: I was living with me mm-hmm. and, uh, and she, she was a mess. She was a hardcore drug addict. And I mean, inside was a sweet person, but was just a wreck,
0: mm-hmm. you know, not mm-hmm.
1: someone you wanted to be around, not because she was a hooker, but because she was just a real mess in her head, you know, mm-hmm. she's dangerous.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I said, this is just this is not working. <laughs> and I looked in the mirror one day, and I saw I saw all my veins, you know, like those models where you take off their they're see-through, and you see the, the circulatory system, and oh, you yeah. see the model and all that. I kind of saw layering this in my body in the mirror, and it went down the circulatory system. And instead of blood running through, I saw white running through. Oh and I went... I am so strung out. I don't have any blood left. I mean, it's where my brain was. <laughs> I have I have crystal running through my through a crystal meth running through my body, you know. And I I can't even look at myself in the mirror anymore. I don't know who I am. I'm a horrible person, you know. I realized I'm selling drugs to people who have children, and are these kids getting a hold of it? I mean, all all of the everything just came caving in on me. And I went, "Oh my God, what are you doing? Who are you? Who is this person?" You know, this isn't what your, who your mother raised you to be. You know, this, this is terrible. If someone dies, it's going to be your fault. Wow, I I couldn't deal with that. You know, what's going to happen? This person already overamped. What happens if they die? They were in the hospital. What happens if your husband dies? What happened? You know, it's like, it's, it's your fault, you know? And, um, so I didn't know what to do. I tried to clean up. I couldn't clean up. It was It was bad. I tried everything. You know, I'd quit for a couple of days, and then I'd go back and start again. I'd be too tired to get through the crash and have a gig and, you know, have to try to So you were doing
0: this all by yourself on your own? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, totally by myself. Um, And I'd have to go gig. And and at this point, my husband thought I was clean. That's how delusional he was. (laughs) And there's no way I could tell him I wasn't because he would, he would have possibility of him killing me, you know, literally. Um, so at that point I said to him, you know, this, this is what's going on in our lives. is just insane. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I like it. Everything's fine. We got this under control. Okay. So I went to a gig one night and, um, in my heart, I knew I had to quit, but I just wasn't able to accomplish it. I tried. It did not work. Um, I was not Christian, my father was Christian, my mother was Jewish, Mm -hmm. you know, so going to AA with the higher power and the whole thing just didn't appeal to me and didn't make sense in my brain. Um, so I had very dear friend, someone that I had performed with for years and years and years, and who was actually my husband's one of my husband's best friends. Um, he had left left where we were living uh, four years before that, because he couldn't stand what was going on. We wouldn't clean up. We wouldn't get our life together. He didn't want to be around the drugs. And so he left. He went to California. Uh, he went back to school, got his degree in educational psychology. Um, and I was at this club gigging, and the manager said, You yeah, have a phone call. And I'm like, Okay. So I went, this is way before cell phones, people, you know, (laughs) (laughs) way before cell phones. So I go in the office and all I hear is a voice saying to me, are you ready? And I recognized it. And it was, it was my friend, Wren. And I said, oh my God, am I ready? He said, I'll be there in the morning. And he jumped on a bus and he came from California to Arizona where i was living. And he said, "Okay, we got to get you clean." And um, he kept my husband busy. He w- he was a vegan. He was Buddhist. You know, he was well educated, one of the most incredible people i've ever met, had come from from addiction like i had. You know, his father was a raging alcoholic, five five generations of alcoholism. Um, and so he he knew he had a problem with alcohol he didn't drink you know um and it, we had done drugs be- together before, but he knew that wasn't the road either and he'd quit and so he was sitting there giving me a bunch of supplements wow. right to get my brain right as right as you can mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. because it was uh, you and I know and maybe some of your audience knows you know, the, the, the drugs use up the acetylcholine and neuronepinephrine in the brain, which is mood stabilization, being able to make a, a, a decision and mm-hmm. stick with it. Right. You know, um, uh, memory, you know, trying to remember why, <laughs> you know. Uh, I knew my motivation was I knew that I had to quit or I was going to die. And even worse, if I died, okay, I'm dead. You know, I don't have to watch this happen, but somebody else is going to die and I was going to be responsible. Uh-huh, right. That guilt. Right. So I detoxed in the bathroom downstairs. I mean, I don't think I need to go into graphic detail what that was, but it was mm-hmm. terrible. I, I could have died. The, the only reason that I felt fairly confident was because because Ren um, was respiratory therapist also work his way through school he'd become a respiratory therapist so he was watching my respiration and he had he had an ammo bag and stuff with him just to make sure um, and uh, he had other I don't know what other stuff he had because I was a wreck and you know throwing up and sweating mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff and I was trying to stay really quiet because <laughs> I didn't want my husband to know or anybody else to know and, and Ren was keeping him busy
0: you're all in the same area. We're
1: in the same house. In the same house. Wow. Right. So oh. four days in the in the bathroom. You know, three or four. I don't remember exactly. It's a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally, you know, he told my husband. He said, "You know, Corinne's really sick. I'm gonna I'm gonna get her to bed, and you know, mm-hmm. see what she got the flu or something." And my my first husband was so out of it that he was like, okay, well, you take care of her. <laughs> he didn't want, he was like that, though. He didn't want it to, if, if I needed anything, he didn't want to take care of me. He was a narcissist and sociopath. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. if, if he needed some, he wanted me to take care of him. But, you know, right. and he loved me as much as he could love anybody, you know, mm-hmm. which was limited, like that. Mm-hmm. was limited, you know. Um, so, so I cleaned up. It was, it was hell, I did it without a program. Ren stayed with me. He did not go back to California uh, until he knew I was stable. And he said to me, what are you going to do? Are you going to stay here? And I said, I've got to get him clean. we got to stop this. This is scary. And he said, "He said, well, I almost have my degree. I've got to get back. You know, he said, i got one more semester. <laughs> mm-hmm, I said, mm-hmm. get out of here. <laughs> you know, so I worked. I stayed clean. I stayed clean because I knew that someone was going to die. That was my motivation at that time. I knew that someone was going to die if I didn't stay clean. So I finally taught, I don't know how I did it. I don't remember, to be perfectly honest with you, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, how I talked him into going to rehab. But um, he went into four or five different rehabs. I would go. I would walk into because now we're at the codependence part of it. I would (laughs) I would walk into um, bookstores to get books on codependence. How do you help someone? And I would be so scared because I'd be leafing through, and everyone from said, "You can't make them do it if they won't quit. You got to leave." I don't want to hear that. I'm fiercely loyal, Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. know, to the point where I'll hurt myself to help someone else. And so I wouldn't even buy it. I'd just leave it on the counter and walk out. This is before the internet, people. <laughs> you know? oh, yeah. um, and so so I finally, I got him in and out of detox. I mean, rehab four or five times. Every time I'd get him in, he'd call me and say, this isn't going to work, and he'd walk out. So finally I said, well, I was talking to Ren, get him out of town because he won't be able to cab if he's out of town. So I, I take him up into the mountains in Flagstaff to a really good rehab up there. And I couldn't get him in in the middle of the night. I had to wait till the morning. So we got a hotel room, and he's like, "Go get me some some drugs. I want to get high before I go in
0: one last time."
1: One last time, yeah. Mm-hmm. Boy, does this sound familiar? It does um, I did that about four hundred times, <laughs> you know. Uh, and so I'm like, "You're like, Where do you... I don't know anybody here. It's the middle of the night. Where am I going to find drugs?" I said, "I don't care. Go to the truck stop." It's like, oh, we both know what that means. I'm not going to the truck stop, mm-hmm. you know. I'll, I'll, I'll either get killed, raped, or they'll think I'm a hooker, or whatever. You know, whatever's gonna, you know. I mean, and I'd go with the motorcycle gang, so it's not like I was naive, or you know. I mean, if like, anything,
0: you're very aware.
1: I knew what was going on, right? And so he was getting more and more upset and more and more violent. So finally, I, I refused that. I am not doing it. You're going in rehab in the morning. I know it's, it's' it's horrible but you gotta you gotta get through the night. I don't know where my brain was I should have brought some with just just get him through until the morning, but I didn't um, at that point he threw me on the bed, took a pillow, put it over my face and was trying to kill me. Oh,
0: shit.
1: And I was kicking and screaming and flailing and my brain went, wait a minute. He's going to continue to do this until he thinks you're dead. He's He's gone. There's nobody there. Mm-hmm. So I literally let my body go limp and held my breath. And he held that pillow there for a little bit longer. I don't know how long. And he got up. And I heard him walk somewhere, light a cigarette, because I could hear the match. And then I heard the shower on. And I jump up, run out of the hotel room, and I I just run, 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 and I find a coffee shop and I sit there all night. And I'm like, if he's not there when I get back, it's not my problem anymore. Wow. You know, unfortunately, he was back there. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> you know, I mean, like it, it was this mixed emotion of thank God he's okay and oh my god and oh my god. Is it gonna really kill me this time? You know, sure. um, and so I got him into rehab. So he we went. He did go in because he was he was always remorseful when he got violent with me. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it always. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't believe I did that. The same typical crap. You know. Um, and before I could get back to the motel, he had called the motel. They're not going to give me the drugs for detox. This is always this thing. They're not going to give me the drugs for detox. So I get him back to Vegas. I mean, I'm Vegas. I mean, I get him back to to Tucson, which is where we were. And and when I get back, I call out Ren and I say, I don't know what to do. He said, I'll be there in the morning. He'd made it through a semester. <laughs> you know? so, had his degree. Hadn't walked yet, but had his degree. He came back he talked to him and he said, you have got, you've got to go into rehab. This is ridiculous. Look what you're doing to her, you know? And, and he's like, I know, I know, I know. i got to get high one last time. Soren said, okay, I'm going to get you high one last time. And then when you're high, you got the buzz. I'm taking you into rehab. Do not come out. If you come out, you're never seeing me again. This is the last time I'm gonna be here for you. So he took him in, dropped him off. By the time we got back to the house, he's calling said, like, come pick me up. I looked at Ren and said, I'm done. I can't take anymore. You know, I said, I said, if you want me to, I'll drop you off in Cali. I grabbed my dog, I grabbed 32 pair of shoes, one skirt one pair of pants and one shirt not my mic not my pa nothing to make a living wow <laughs> no wardrobe nothing and we got in the car and started driving and he, he said i started to cali he said you you we can't go to cali he's you know if you go there with me he'll know you're there You know, and I was, he would come kill me. He really would. Mm -hmm. You know, um, so he said, I said, well, I'll drop you off and I'll go somewhere else. And he won't know where I'm at. And he looked at me and he said, you have never been alone. Mm -hmm. Never. When, When I moved into my apartment, my boyfriend's mother lived, Marty's mother lived above me. So even though I was in the apartment alone, she was like upstairs, wow. you know, uh-huh. so I was never alone. alone. He said, I'm going to go with you, get you set up. Then I'll go to California. There was nobody that knew where I was, you know? And so he said, where do you want to go? I said, well, I, we gotta make, I gotta make a living. We don't have any bookings. You know, I was gigging locally, you know, it said, you're in, you're in college. I said, let's go to Vegas. So we did. We drove to Vegas, and uh, nobody knew where I was except one person that my husband didn't know that I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, so right there, that whole thing would have been enough for me to get high.
0: I mean, millions of things throughout you that know, period.
1: You know, indeed, terr- terrified. I was afraid every time I turn around. I was scared he was sneaking up to kill me. Um, mm. The guilt about leaving them, you know, um, the guilt about what I had done with selling these drugs, the, mm-hmm. the fact that I had never had to reinvent my life without him, you know, um, was scary. Ren stayed with me. We were just platonic. We didn't get together or anything. Uh, we we were friends, just friends. And, and I looked at him and said, how did you get your life together? I mean, I know what a mess you were when we were younger. We'd known each other since we were 19. You know, we're best friends. And I know he was a jacked up mess. And -hmm. so he said, do you really want to know? And I said, of course I want to know. I'm a wreck. Mm -hmm. What did you do? And he said, I'm Buddhist. And I went, okay, I've heard that. I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. You know, and... So he started explaining it to me and had me read some books. Um, At that point I was on a bunch of supplements and everything. And I realized, and I think this is a very important part. The number one thing about Buddhism is Mm self-responsibility. You know, it's like, you can't go to God and say, gee God, I'm sorry. Don't let me pay for this. Don't let me go to hell. It's like, guess what? You did it. You're going to pay because that's your karma. Mm -hmm. When, you know, it's, it's cause and effect. Every, you know, every action has an equal, equal and opposite reaction. Even, even in quantum physics, that's true, you know, (laughs) which is karmic, karmic propensity, you know, when, when the, the, um, There's my brain's not telling me what it's called right now, but when, when the situations come together for that karma to manifest, it will happen. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I like that because, because addicts rationalize and justify, they never take responsibility, Mm -hmm. ever take responsibility. So that was completely opposite from the way my brain had worked for years and years and years in the way that I had been raised. It's always someone else's fault.
0: The blame game.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's your fault. I'm going to go get high. It's your fault. I'm going to have a drink. It's your fault. I'm going to go get late, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to go spend all the grocery money on, you know, on hats, whatever, Mm which, Hey, sounds fun. What can I say? (laughs) You know? (laughs) So, so I love that about Buddhism. That was the first thing I loved about it. The second thing I loved about it was that you take a vow there's different kinds of Buddhism. Okay. There's a small vehicle, you know, um, the, the, the large vehicle and the great vehicle. All right. The small vehicle Hinayana means that you get enlightenment, which means you're out of pain and suffering, <laughs> you know, through meditation and all this stuff that you do. Um, but you don't help anybody else. You just hang out there and cause you ain't hurt no more. So that works for me. You know, mm-hmm. then you have the large vehicle, which is the Mahayana, which is the, I'm going to become enlightened and get out of pain. And then I'm going to help other people do that. Of service. And then you have the great vehicle, which you're, is Mahayana, but you can do it quick, <laughs> right? Which can be a very dangerous path if you don't have good guidance and you don't have it together. <laughs> you know? um, so Ren was a Mahayana Buddhist. You know, we had, he had studied the great vehicle, but knew he wasn't ready to go there. You know, um, and so I became a Mahayana Buddhist. My vow was for all, all sentient beings. But my my specific vow was for children and animals. Um, that I knew that I had to stay sober because I couldn't help them. Not even in an esoteric way of Buddhism, but in an echo And and I'm not saying it right, but in a large way mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: my brain's not working this morning I'm losing words oh I'm 70 that's okay, it's okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> in, in the large way on this planet there are children being hurt mm-hmm. there are animals being hurt you know I looked at my dog one day and realized that if I was in the wrong country in the wrong part of it I, she might be dinner you know and then all of a sudden I went oh every sentient being wants to live so I, I became vegetarian and then became vegan You know, and I'll never backtrack on that because I don't want to hurt the animals. Mm -hmm. But that kept me sober.
0: How did that keep you sober?
1: Well, I knew, I knew that there's no way. I knew if I fell back into addiction that it would all become about me. Mm -hmm. Because addiction is selfish. Addiction is gimme I want. It's the little child in us. There's a hole in our heart somewhere, and we're trying to fill it up. And kids are, you know, I mean, there are some children. There are definitely some children that are more aware and more advanced sure. that are thinking of others. And 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 when we and you know, that is our propensity when we're children. But as we grow up, and we get jealous because that's the way the human brain works. You know, and we have emotions. You know, oh. Oh, you're paying attention to my brother. Well, wait a minute. That's not okay. I'm jealous. Give me I want.
0: I want, I want, I want.
1: I want, I want, I want, I want. You know, I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm hurt, I'm hungry, I'm whatever, all these these emotions and, and, and desires and, you know, create selfishness, self-grasping. And because of that, um, if, you, if you aren't... Re- Real. If you don't love yourself enough to stay sober, you're gonna say, "Oh, what the heck? I'm gonna make you think it out. again because That feels good. Right. I don't want this pain. Mm-hmm. This hurts. Mm-hmm. I'm jealous. I'm scared. I'm broke. I'm have a headache. Uh, my nose hurts. Oh, my toe fell off. Whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna get high. I'm just gonna just one little shot. I'm just gonna have one drink. Then I can go to sleep." No, I don't know with me, but if I have one shot, that bottle's gone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, so so I had to, and I'm this kind of. Remember, I told you I'm fiercely loyal, right? So I mean, it scares me sometimes. I'm so loyal, and Ren was, Ren is too, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: was too. Okay, (laughs) Um, I would jump in the fire to save someone not thinking about how it was going to affect me. Mm -hmm. I was just built that way. So knowing that if I got high, there was an animal that was gonna get hurt or a child that was gonna get hurt. Hmm. And then we volunteered and did things to help animals and and children. You know, so I was directly connected doing that.
0: And you have children.
1: I, it's are stirrup, I've never been pregnant. Um, and okay, we're going to, we're going to kind of rush forward a few years here. I married rent, <laughs> like mm-hmm. duh, that's mm-hmm. a no brainer. Right. Uh, and he had a vasectomy at 21 because he knew that he didn't want to bring children into the world since there's so many children that need parents. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of guy he was. Um, and back then they do it on a 21 year old, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'd never even adopted people kept giving us their children. Giving you children. Yes. Like, um, well, we we raised one child from the time she was four. Her mother had been raped mm-hmm. and um, kept the child. So the mom, although very brilliant, both of them had IQs in the 140s. The mom was emotionally stunted. Mm-hmm. They were both unattached children. So they were a mess, mm-hmm. you know. And um, so the mom and the child both moved in with us. So we raised them both, Wow. right? Um, they were like sisters until until um, the little one was 16, and we said, this will not do. Your mother and daughter, this needs to be fixed, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And then at 15, uh, a student of ours um, who was uh, Taiwanese-American, uh, was an American kid, but mother was Taiwanese and was trying to raise her like a Taiwanese kid, and she was rebelling, and mm-hmm. it, was, it was a mess. Uh, the only... People that she'd listened to was me and my husband. So the mom um, said, can she move in with you? We were like, we just got rid of the other one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so she moved in um, and became an addict who lost it. And my husband quit working for six months to get her back together. And now and she got her into college, got her degree, got married, joined the army. they're both her husband and my oldest daughter well the mom is a a neuropsychologist and the daughter is a nurse is a lieutenant in the Navy which is so weird because Ren and I were both such pacifists I don't know what this military thing is (laughs) Um, and then we have a young man who's not young anymore he's in his forties but he came from Jehovah Witness background was very Abused, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, mentally and emotionally, and moved um, in with us when he was twenty years old. And I'm the right really closest to him. Mm-hmm. Still, still, I mean, the girls are are both in. Well, Guy is in in uh, basic training in um, Georgia, and Jackie is in at Mayport you know, she's, that's where she's, uh, uh, deployed. And, uh, but, but Chad lives in Las Vegas and he's got two kids. And so I'm the grandma and the
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the mom. And so they're the ones that are closest to me. They literally just thought they were here last week. So it was just like amazing. But, um, uh, so we did part of our duty for my vow.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, and he married someone with borderline personality disorder that's an addict. Mm -hmm. So now we're working with the kids to make sure because he doesn't drink, he doesn't do anything, and he's Buddhist also. You know, so trying to make sure these kids he can't get custody, full custody of them because welcome to Nevada, you know. So at any rate, it just keeps going on and on and on and on.
0: So children find you.
1: Children find us. They found me and Ren. They just kept moving in. Wow. You know, we put we we were touring. We were doing TV shows in Europe and touring all over the country and everything. So we put the kids in the act. <laughs> <laughs> so that they we can't leave them at home. You know. So they went they went with us and uh the buyer would pay for their airfare and everything. It was great. They homeschooled in the dressing room and, and our writer, we said the stage hands can't help help them with their math because they tried to hustle with them. Mm-hmm. Doing it. So, I mean, I had a very interesting, interesting life. Um, oh, wow. So, but our, my vow was really, and my amazing husband, mm-hmm. you know, his degree is in educational psychology. He loved me unconditionally, supported me unconditionally. Um, you know, do we have trouble? Of course we're human, you know, it's like, especially, I mean, he married a mess. He married a mess, <laughs> you know, um, who wants to do that? He did, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, I'm blessed. I'm just, I don't know where I'd be today. I'd be dead or in jail, to be honest with you, if it wasn't for him. Uh, and, uh, so we get together and loved together and laughed together and raised kids and, you know, did crazy stuff and duped it out. And No, we never duped it out, mm-hmm. but you know, verbally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but like we ended up with this incredible marriage of friendship. 50 years of friendship, married for 33 years. Now um, I'm going to start crying. He was diagnosed with ALS in 2018. Um, then the pandemic hit. We were keeping him in pretty good shape. He was functioning. He was doing pretty good because we were, there's no cure, no treatment. There's like nothing, a couple drugs that don't do anything. Mm-hmm. And so we were doing holistic medicine and he was, functioning high. And then the pandemic hit and we couldn't get him any treatment. And, uh, he started losing function. Oh, I'm sorry. I've been pretty good about not crying about this. Um, and so he passed away in February. I was the sole caregiver. Uh, The blessing was I was able to spend every moment with him. I mean, we always spent almost every moment together, Mm -hmm. but I mean, every single moment. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he was loving and kind. You know, he had an IQ of 162. And he had a uh, front low dementia. The last, the last five months, it got pretty bad. was still sweet. <laughs> you know, he died in my arms. Uh, and blessedly, we had a, a Buddhist kenpo. Uh, do the, the transition practices for him because he practiced his whole life for it, but his brain was gone. He wasn't able to do it. Mm-hmm. So I was able to whisper the practices in his ear while he transitioned, which, you know, it wasn't easy. I mean, it was not pretty. People say, oh, they died peacefully in their sleep. Ugh. Literally had him in my arms. I felt everything. He it was, it wasn't was pretty. It was painful. But I'm still sober. <laughs> I'm still suffering. I wouldn't do that to him. I he finally let go when I promised him that I would be okay.
0: That was another vow.
1: Yes. I vowed to him. I would be okay. I would take care of our two kitties and I'd meet him in the pure land. But it was time, you know. And uh and I've been clean ever since. I mean, I've had his clonazepam here. I had Oxy here, which I gave away to the Ukrainians (laughs) when they got, you know, uh, Trazodone. My doctor gave me lorazepam. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I have a bottle of vodka here, not to drink. But during the pandemic, you couldn't get isopropyl alcohol. Not 70%, right? And my husband had a quart. And mm-hmm. he had to get injections. And I did all that for him. And
0: you had to uh, sanitize. I, uh-huh.
1: So you had to sanitize. So I found 80 proof vodka. And that's what I was using to sanitize with. Mm-hmm. And then after you were, I was able to get the isopropyl alcohol, I said, why am I going to put that chemicals in him? So funny story. Uh, when my husband was in the ICU, my son came in from Vegas to see him, which they wouldn't let him up to see him, which was just tragic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> He stayed at, at my apartment. On um, the counter was alcohol, was the vodka. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I wasn't even thinking about it because, you know, 911 took him to the hospital mm-hmm. and we just stayed there. Uh, and uh, they were here last weekend. And I, okay, the other thing is my two kitties who hadn't been to the vet, and they're 15, they oh. were our baby, mm-hmm. you know, um, one of them ended up with kidney failure and the other one has diabetes. Oh my god. Right? So, <laughs> right? Another whammy. Uh, I'm still sober. Wow. Right. Um, and so uh I have to give my kitty with diabetes insulin shots. So my son was here with the kids, kids were asleep. I went to uh sanitize the the insulin, and all I hear is like, oh my god, thank god. And I'm like. What are you okay? What? And he said, "I thought you were drinking again." I was like, "No, I'm sanitizing." He said, Ugh. "I said, why didn't you ask me?" He said, "You have way too much stress. I didn't want to. I didn't want to ask you that. You know, I figured if you were, you'd figure it out." It's <laughs> like, well, I did, I, did. I have not had a drink. I have. N- My doctor gave me fifteen lorazepam and there's still 15 in the bottom. You know, uh I had I had a dental thing going on and they gave me uh not not norco, they gave me a oh, I don't know, it was nitrous. But, well, they gave me nitrous, yeah. Uh-huh. But they also gave me pain pills afterwards. Mm-hmm. I never took any. I gave them to my friend who had a had a, a really bad toothache. Mm-hmm. You know, so I never took those. I just that thou is strong, people. That vow is strong.
0: So is your loyalty to your recovery.
1: Oh, yeah. 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 Okay, you know, this world is so messed up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't fix everything. There's absolutely no way I can fix everything. All I can fix is myself. The only thing I can change is me. I wish I could go in. If I could have changed my first husband, I would have, you know, if I could have changed my dad and mom, I would have, I I can't change them. You know, I'm the only person I can control is me. And, and I, I, there are times that I'm like, you know, if I took something, I wouldn't be feeling this and this right. feeling, this is not fun. You know, uh, I was like, well, go ahead, girlfriend, go ahead and take it. How many people are you going to hurt? What are you saying to your grandkids? You know, do you want Chad to go through what you went through with your parents? He already went through with his father who was drinking gasoline. Mm -hmm. Figure that one out. You know, he died from petroleum poisoning, basically. Mm -hmm. Literally was drinking gasoline. It's like, there's no way I'm going to put him through that. I'm not going to do it. And there are people out there, like the people. Hopefully, this story I'm telling, which is, i on my husband's life, is true. I mean, my, hus- my husband's reincarnated life, mm-hmm. but, um, and my kids' lives. It's true. Um, I I can't I can't allow myself to be selfish. I can't I can't get get high because I'll forget to give Momo her insulin shot. I'll forget to make sure that that Figgy takes her her vitamins. They're cats. Well, guess what? They can't do it themselves. You know, and I vowed to take care of them. Once I I adopted them, they're little sentient beings that feel pain, that feel loyalty. I believe they feel not the kind of love we feel, but they do feel affection, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and they depend on me. You know, I live in a senior apartment complex. There are people here that depend on me because even though I'm 70, I'm young in here. I'm the the kid here, Uh you know, and I'm a better physical shape than most of them. So, and I teach a class of singing here for the, for these seniors. And some of them, that's all they have to look forward to, Uh you know, so I'm not gonna, I'm not going to mess me up, which is going to have a ripple effect and i when i start making it all about me i just think of the people that love me and then i think about how i was affected by the people that that loved me as my parents my husband you know friends you know i i one of my dear friends who was blown up in a car cuz that's the type of lifestyle i lived you know None of that would have happened without drugs. You know, and my, and my first husband was murdered by our ex-dealer. He just broke into their house, and when my husband threw him out, he went back to his RV and pulled out a shotgun and blew his head off. He was 35 years old. He had, as horrible as he was, this is the one that almost killed me, he cleaned up, he... He became religious, he was counseling teenage drug addicts, was working as a welder, and had money saved. And at his funeral, there were 350 people. Wow. So, even he could do it. And he had hepatitis. You know, and, and... when he realized I wasn't coming back, he tried to do see a suicide by cop. That's how he cleaned up. He, they, they put him in jail. He got sick. He went to the hospital. They found he had hepatitis. And these church people came in, and uh, he met them, and he cleaned yeah. up. So, but what was his, what was his motivation? Part of it, I think, was me coming back. Mm-hmm. But the other part was he found God. Mm-hmm. He was an intelligent guy you know, and, and if someone, if someone like him who had been a drug addict from the time he was probably 12 years old, right. mm-hmm. if he could clean up,
0: it's possible. It's possible. It's extraordinary how you remain sober, not just sober, but in recovery with such significant loss, you know, um, <laughs> Because people use f- for no reason at all. It's fucking Tuesday,
1: <laughs> yeah, I, right? You I just don't, think-
0: don't really need a reason, right? But for with all this loss, it is truly amazing um, about how Buddhism was introduced in your life, the vow that you made to children, to your husband, to animals, and a vow to yourself in many ways because you were so fucking loyal. But that also benefited you to be loyal to recovery.
1: I, I was blessed that I had an extraordinary person in my life
0: mm-hmm.
1: that loved me. Uh, unfortunately, not everybody has that. However, everybody can be extraordinary. Ren wasn't extraordinary because he was born that way. Ren was extraordinary because he chose to be. He was a child of addiction. He was an alcoholic and a drug addict. Well, he was never a drug addict, but he did a lot of drugs, Mm -hmm. (laughs) a lot of drugs. Mm -hmm. We're talking about sixties and seventies, you know, Mm -hmm. and he was, and he was into psychedelics back in the day, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and he's sobered. and he cleaned up by himself, you know, he just chose to be Extraordinary. Was he perfect? No, he was a man. But he chose to do it. So but he was a dude, you know, come on. <laughs> dudes are dudes. Sorry, guys. But, you know, girls are girls. Girls are mm-hmm. girls. You know, dudes are dudes. Women are women or whatever. We all, we're all different, yes. you know. I mean, it's just estrogen and testosterone are two entirely different drugs. And so we behave differently. And right. I understood testosterone, so it was easy. And he understood estrogen. So it, it worked for us. But everybody can choose to be extraordinary. Everybody can choose, but it's a choice. It's a choice. It's no more profound than that. I made a choice. And you
0: keep choosing, and, aren't you? And I
1: keep choosing. at Moment to moment. Right. You know, especially with what I'm going through now. You know, loss right. lost my husband, who's my best friend, 50 years, and husband of 33. Mm-hmm. You know, and... And now my, my listen, to people that aren't into animals, okay, but they're my four-legged kids. Mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. had them for 15 years. We've had them since they were kittens. You know, and they depend on me. Mm-hmm. You know, and just the fact that they're so sick, and I can't even ask them what they need. It's like my husband at the end, he lost the ability to speak. Mm-hmm. So everything I did had to be, do you need this, do you need that? I didn't know if he was in pain. I didn't know how much pain. I didn't know what he needed. I don't know if he was thirsty, couldn't swallow, you know, so, so it's even with all that, I choose to stay sober and when it's their time, I'm still going to choose to stay sober because, because how energetically, how am I going to help the world by getting high? I'm not going to come on, the world's really divided right now. It's divided into people that are selfish mm-hmm. and people that aren't selfish. I mean, we've never been able to recognize such a... I mean, it's always been there, but we've never been able to recognize such a divide because people are being unable to be selfish. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a thing now. It's kind of a point of pride where it didn't used to be. It kind of was a point of shame before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um... Well, let me ask and you this, being political here.
0: <laughs> knowing these polarities, right, and people listening to this extraordinary story who want recovery, who want to be sober, um, but don't want to do the traditional path, like you said, A, wasn't your, your thing, um, what would you tell these folks? I want to get sober, but I don't want to go to treatment. I don't want to go to groups. I don't know about therapy, all these kinds of things. What would you share with them?
1: Okay, one, one of the most important things, this is where I started, was um, L tyrosine with B6 and C. Mm-hmm. You need those to activate it.
0: These amino acids?
1: Amino acid. Uh-huh. Choline for memory. CDP choline, lecithin. These are all brain, brain supplements. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, there, there's another type of lecithin, but it's so expensive. I'm not even going to mm-hmm.
0: sure.
1: tell you about it because it's so ridiculously expensive. Um, and and take those daily. Take those before you start. Before you quit, so that your brain is in good enough shape to be able to quit. You have to. Surround yourself with people that are sober. You need someone that understands medical. Because mm-hmm. you know, you could go into a seizure or something. You know, there needs to be someone there that knows how to deal with that, or at least can call 911. Mm-hmm. It's they've got to be calm people that can keep it together and aren't gonna panic. Then when you do clean up, you gotta eat right. Mm-hmm. You need to have some sort of spiritual philosophy and if not spiritual some sort of philosophy that you can follow. That there's a book called The Handbook to Higher Consciousness by Ken Keys. Not the workbook, but the book. I used it like a Bible. It was absolutely amazing. I mean there's a bunch of great self-help books now, but this book was was brilliant. Um it was so tattered by the time I was through with it but it gives you the exact steps. You you can see where you are and what you need to do to get back to the, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to the healthy side. Um, And then this is the hardest and most important part. You've got to change your environment and the people that you're hanging around with
0: people, places and things.
1: I had to just let go of all my friends. And the only person I didn't let go of was my husband. I, you can't go around them. You've got to change your environment. Everything will trigger. Now, the worst part was I got high in the bathroom. So mm-hmm. <laughs> every time I sit down on the toilet, I want to get high. <laughs> that was a problem. Mm-hmm. You know? right. <laughs> it was a problem, but I have my vow was strong enough to where I didn't. Um, but you, you totally have to change your environment and your friends. You got to be with sober people, mm-hmm. you know, um, I know in Vegas that there's one Buddhist group that's a recovery group. There are groups like that I didn't it didn't work for me. I mean back then they I don't think they had that. I tried to find I found a Sufi group <laughs> you know um and they were pretty cool uh for my husband, but he wouldn't go uh there's a lot more options now that were then absolutely but you know you, you need you need support. Can you do it by yourself? Well, I'm at a point that I can now, but I've been clean for 36 years. Right. So so that's not a daily part of my life anymore. Mm-hmm. I can go to the bathroom now and not think about it. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? Right. Um, so that's what I would suggest. Mm-hmm. But you have to have someone that's, that's strong enough with you when you're detoxing and for the first couple of months at least to keep Guiding you back, guiding you back, guiding you back, guiding you back so that you stay sober. You know, I was lucky. Can you do it without that? Yes. Some people could. I was lucky enough to have someone like that. Uh, would I have stayed clean without him? I don't know. I'd like to think so. You know, but but I don't think my head was right yet. I mean, my the physiology... In biochemistry, my brain wasn't back yet.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, I mean, my my neural pathways, you know, hadn't been reprogrammed yet to stay sober. Mm -hmm. That's where I am now. I still have the pathways as an addict, but they're not triggered as much as my sober pathways are. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So, so, you know, you got to have someone that's going to remind you. And they've got to be pretty strong and not get mad at you when you go off on them. Mm -hmm. Because like I I said, I was a mess, you know, poor Ren. I'd start yelling and screaming and I'd call him Marty. Mm. And he'd say, do you realize that you didn't call me Ren? I was, I did not. Oh yeah. You called me Marty. And I go, Holy macaroni. I did. Mm -hmm. You know,
0: This has been extraordinary. I really appreciate Corinne for you sharing your story and how you just do it every day. How you choose every fucking day. Because you do have a choice. And it's so easy not to feel like you do. And again, people use for far less it could be fucking Tuesday.
1: It's it's easy. Mm-hmm. Easy to find the back door. I chose to brick over that back door. Literally, I visually did. Mm -hmm. You know, there's other things I use that back door for, but it's not my sobriety. It's like, uh, right now, now, I mean, I'm an addict. Right now, I weigh 40 pounds more than I've ever weighed in my life. You know, so I'm using food. I'm aware I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. And I also know that there's an end date to it. I'm allowing myself to do it right now, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's a choice. Part stress, stress in, you know. Sure. It's like, you know, I'm eating my feelings, basically. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Boy, am I eating my feelings. I have a vegan cheesecake in the refrigerator. You want some? (laughs) You know, so, so, um, but I'm aware of it. I've done enough meditation to where there's not many thoughts that go in my brain that I'm not aware of. You know, I'm sure there are some, you know, uh, but not many. Mm-hmm. Y- you know, I catch them and go, oh, do I want that one? Yes, I'm choosing to, mm-hmm. I'm choosing to allow that one, but it's not going to own me.
0: And that's the key. Yeah. Because you're choosing for it not to.
1: And not own me, you know, uh, I mean, and on top of everything, I was bulimic. So I know I have an eating disorder. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's being a performer and being 45 and still competing against 26-year-olds in Vegas, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. But as soon as I found out I was bulimic, I stopped that too. I mean, back in the day, they didn't even have a name for it. They didn't, right. you know. So, but yeah, you got guys. Give yourself the best gift you, you could. Choose sobriety. Dream your life the way you want it. Give a gift to everybody that loves you and that you love. Um, don't. If you need to be punished, this is not the way to do it. You know, find out why you feel you need to be punished. Every one of us are little kids inside, you know, and we make choices, good and bad. And, and there's nothing you can do about the bad choices that you've made except for try to pay it forward.
0: Thank you so, so much.
1: Forgive yourself. You've got to forgive yourself. If I I could sit here and talk to Dr. May Lee and tell her stuff that I have done, which probably put me in jail. um, And I would do it. That I've had to forgive myself for. I was pissed. I was young. I did horrible things. I was with a motorcycle gang. You know, I'm... Um, Spent the last 37 years trying to make up for it. Can I ever take back what I did? Absolutely not. Are those people still hurt? Of course. But there are other people that aren't hurt that are are in good shape because I was able to help them. You know, so turn it around. Make good choices. Agreed. You're welcome.
0: Thank you for listening to Recovery Plus Podcast. Fuck yesterday. Focus on today. I'm your host, Dr. May Lee Hennon, celebrating and honoring people in recovery one conversation at a time. This podcast is sponsored by Red Door Coaching and Consulting. You can find my podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon.